Don't be afraid. Lock the doors. Turn out the lights. And climb into bed. It's time for Hillbilly Dead Time Stories. Very few thoughts can conjure up more fear and anxiety than being abducted by aliens. The horror stories described by abductees such as Travis Walton and Barney and Betty Hill are the thoughts that will keep you awake quivering in your bed at night. Even with high-profile cases such as these on record, there are still several people who do not believe in the existence of life outside of the Earth, let alone UFOs or abductions. This is mainly due to a lack of solid evidence to convince the strongest of skeptics. That being said, the events in January 1976 in Stanford, Kentucky, involving three women, is one of the most credible abduction cases in UFO annals worldwide. This is primarily due to the physical evidence, animal reaction, electric magnetic effects, and the investigation. The event was fully reported, researched, and followed up on. If you are one of those people who do not believe in UFOs or abduction, you just might be a believer after tonight. January 6, 1976. It was Mona Stafford's 36th birthday. She was joined by her best friends Louise Smith and Elaine Thomas for a celebratory dinner at Redwood Restaurant. Redwood Restaurant was located south of Lancaster, Kentucky, 35 miles from their hometown of Liberty. The three had a great time without the benefit of alcoholic beverages. After dinner, they started what they thought would be a normal drive back home. They had no way of knowing the events that would soon transpire events that they would never forget. They left the restaurant at 11.15 p.m. The three women piled into the 1967 Chevy Nova driven by Louise Smith. Leaving Stanford and heading for Houstonville on Highway 78, the three suddenly see a bright red object in the clear night sky. Mona was the first to see the object. She assumed it was an airplane which was on fire and about to crash. As the craft got closer, the car suddenly sped up on its own. The car accelerated to 85 miles per hour. In a panic, Louise screams, I can't hold the car on the road. Mona reached over and tried to help her, thinking that something was wrong with the steering. But she could not control it either. The car continued on its high rate of speed without Louise's foot even on the gas pedal. The object was now incredibly close to the car. It followed from behind for a short time, then flipped on its end and came to the driver's side. All three women would describe the craft the same way, an enormous metallic disc-shaped object with a dome on top, with a ring of red lights around its midsection. All three women also noticed a yellow blinking light on the bottom of the craft. After a few minutes of hovering over the driver's side of the car, it took off down the highway, causing a bluish-white light to shoot into the car, illuminating the interior of the vehicle. 
Louise would later describe the inside of their car as filled with a haze-like air, sort of like a fog. Instantly, all three women suffered from a burning sensation so strong that they could not open their eyes. The last thing that Smith, Stafford, and Thomas remembered was being backed into a pasture entrance in a quote-unquote crazy manner. One hour and 20 minutes later, the three found themselves back in the car, driving toward Liberty. They were shaken and tense, with exposed areas of flesh, painful from the burns. The three frightened and scared ladies finally arrived at Louise Smith's home, and when they entered, they noticed that the clock in the kitchen showed 1.20 a.m., meaning that the trip of 35 miles that would normally take 45 minutes had taken just over two hours. After confirming the time with their neighbor, they called the police station. Unfortunately, the police informed them that there was absolutely nothing that they could do. The following morning, they phoned the Navy recruiting station. The Navy station reported the call to a Lexington television station. The story quickly reached the press and was given headline status. Investigator Jerry Black from MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, heard the story and started researching the event. Black called the three women and asked for an interview, but none of the three were eager to relive the event or to have strangers in their homes. After multiple phone calls and offering sympathy for their experience, the three finally agreed to an interview. Black invited Peggy Schnell of Ohio, who had experience with these kinds of cases, to also attend. Black felt that the three would feel more comfortable with a female accompanying him on the trip. In the first meeting, several very important facts were revealed. Black stated that the three women were all obviously in physical pain. They had insatiable thirst, and they all claimed excessive weight loss since the event. The three women gave some details of their observations of the UFO, its structure, and its behavior. They also discussed some of the ill effects that they had sustained. These memories were painful to all three as they tried to recall details in hopes that someone might be able to help them. Elaine Thomas said, We live in fear of what we don't know. I'm worried about Louise and Mona. I think they're ready for a breakdown. There were some psychological problems caused by the experience. Louise Smith was having difficulties in performing her everyday duties as an assistant for the Casey County Extensive Office. Mona Stafford was not only suffering from her eye inflammation, she also wanted to know what happened during her missing time. Several things were evident to the investigators at the first meeting. The three witnesses were sincere about what they had experienced. They were suffering from the so-called beam, and there were obvious physical scars from the encounter. Louise Smith lifted her hair up, and she showed a mark on her neck. It was a roundish, pinkish, gray blotch the size of a half dollar. Another unusual revelation that came out from the meeting was the strange reaction of Louise's parakeet. When Louise first arrived home after the experience, instead of her usual happy greeting, she received a frightening reaction from the bird. It flew into the side of its cage and fluttered its wings in a wild display of fear. Louise proclaimed that since the first night home, her pet has had nothing to do with her. Tests were conducted on other birds. When other people came near the birds, the reactions were perfectly normal. But when Louise came too close, they too panicked. Her pet parakeet died in March of 1976, just three months after the encounter. But this was far from the only strange occurrences Louise would notice. The minute hand on her wristwatch began to rapidly spin around. Also, the next week after the sighting, when she touched her bedroom alarm clock, it quit working. Her car then developed electrical problems. Driving to work, she was stopped by the police who informed her that her signal lights were no longer working. 
All three women suffered from extreme weakness. Because of this, the investigators agreed that at least for the time being, no details of the event would be released. After the initial interviews, the investigators were convinced that the three women's story was as solid as could be. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that these three well-respected, mature, sane women had seen something that they did not understand and that there was missing time that had to be explored. An abduction seemed to be the obvious choice amongst the investigators. Dr. Leo Sprinkle was called upon to perform regressive hypnosis on the three. Sprinkle was a well-respected ufologist and a physician. When Smith, Stafford, and Thomas were contacted about Sprinkle's desire to help them, they initially refused, not knowing of Sprinkle's reputation. At this time, the three women, though needing help, were still under the impression that in time that their problems would pass, and to involve more and more people in the story would only prolong the agony. A promise was made to the three ladies that the regressive hypnosis procedure and its results would not be released to any of the UFO groups for publication until a time that they felt comfortable with it. A date was set for the regressive hypnosis for March 7, 1976. Dr. Sprinkle, Black, Schnell, and others were all present for the initial session. At this time, only one of the three would consent to the hypnosis, Mona Stafford. A silence fell across the room as Dr. Sprinkle began to place Monica in a hypnotic state. In a slow, cautious manner, Stafford began to recall the events of that evening. She was able to relive the thought of an airplane crashing. She was not able to go any further at this first session as tears rolled down her cheeks and exhaustion set in. After the first hypnosis session, Black continued to ask questions of Louise and Elaine. Mona moved away from the others to rest. Another interviewer began to show Stafford some drawings of aliens. The word alien had not even been mentioned in the case before this time, out of respect for the three and also not to coach them in any way. Mona sat and silently looked at the pictures, and then in a dramatic fashion she proclaimed, That looks like the light I saw. It was shaped like that head, pointing to a specific alien. Again, Mona sat for a time, thinking, thinking about that night. Then she added to her previous statement, Yes, I can see the face now, but it doesn't seem solid. It comes and goes. I mean, it fades and reappears like in a fog. Its eyes are far apart, and at the bottom, the chin. It's like the drawing. At this time, she had remembered all that she could, but that was more than enough. A major breakthrough had occurred. The time-lapse barrier had been breached. There was now no doubt that an abduction had taken place. Several months went by without probing any deeper into the hidden facts of the case. Investigators did keep in constant touch with the three women, albeit in a friendly fashion, careful not to push them too soon. The three women were still locked in fear, their physical problems continued, and so did the weight loss. The next hypnosis session was scheduled for the Brown Motel in Liberty, Kentucky on June 23, 1976. Newly present at this meeting was well-known UFO investigator Bob Pratt of the National Enquirer. Though the reputation of the Enquirer left much to be desired, Pratt himself was regarded as an honest, sincere man. The first order of the business on this day would be lie detector testing. A detective for the Lexington Police Department, James Young, was hired to head the polygraph part of the session. Recognized as an expert in the field, Young began testing each of the three women individually. Young was actually a great choice for the sessions because he was a skeptic as far as UFO stories went. 
The tests themselves were lengthy, leaving no room for anything but a conclusive result, whether good or bad. After the tests were completed, Young emerged from the room with an expression of utter amazement. All three of the women had breezed through their tests without a hint of deception. To his credit, Young was man enough to admit that the earlier prejudices were completely erased after the testing of the three women. Later that evening, Dr. Sprinkle would put Louise Smith under hypnosis. The next day, all three women would undergo regression, with each woman having two sessions. During the regressions, the faces of all three women showed the emotional turmoil that they were enduring. The details of what occurred on the harrowing night came slowly, hauntingly, and painfully. Some of the most fearful moments of their abduction were displayed by the painful body contortions and movements. All of the details were observed by eyewitnesses of the entire procedure whose credibility is beyond question. All of the women were taken aboard some type of craft and subjected to physical examinations, sometimes harsh, sometimes torturous. There was not any sexual contact during the abduction, but they were restrained in embarrassing and humiliating positions. Louise Smith would reveal that her exam took place on a table. Elaine Thomas's was inside of a capsule with an unusual-looking noose-like device around her neck, which tightened painfully if she tried to speak. Mona Stafford's exam was in a chair-like device. All of the abductees recalling having their bodies scanned with instruments used which exerted pressure on their limbs. Louise Thomas recalled a tube with a bullet-like tip on it, which probed her chest. She also recalled a warm liquid being applied to her face and body. Mona Stafford also recalled the warm liquid. The sessions brought out other details as well. The characteristics of the alien forms themselves seemed to be vague and often indescribable. All three related shadowy figures which floated or glided by them. They also recalled the frightening one eye or two eyes which also hovered above them. Mona made an unusual statement in describing an eye exam. I could see a light at the end of a tunnel which looked like a volcano with a jagged edge. At this point, she described great pain in her eyes, just like they'd been pulled out. Mona recalled a single bright purple eye that radiated lightning-like rays. Elaine also joined the other two in describing the strange events. She remembered two eyes from a round head in a deep darkness. One eye, she said, was a beautiful blue, encircled by a blue membranous lid like a turtle's, and the other eye appeared dark. Louise saw several different types of beings during her ordeal, but she was so frightened that she closed her eyes and didn't look at them. However, some months later, she described her vision of humanoids in a similar fashion to her two friends, adding that their hands looked like jagged wingtips. It would be Elaine who recalled the most about their captors, at one point stating, there were several small figures about four feet tall. One fact that all three agreed on was that the humanoids communicated with them by telepathy. Not once was an entity mentioned to have any type of mouth. Some interesting facts about the craft itself were revealed by Mona Stafford when asked to elaborate on her description of the tunnel or volcano. She would now add to the previous information that she was looking through a tunnel with a room lit up brightly. She could see a square table with a helpless woman on it surrounded by small figures clad in white. The small beings were closely examining the poor woman. In her own words, I'm not sure if the person was Elaine or Louise, or maybe even me. After all of the revelations of the three women, 
there remained no doubt that something very extraordinary happened on the night of Mona's birthday. The Stanford, Kentucky abduction is still considered one of the best documented abduction cases in UFO history. <laughs>